What's up, everybody? Welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. Sorry for the lack of cold open today. Oh, no. Don't worry, because we can talk it's about so warm. tea. It's, it's very warm. It's a warm open. It's getting warm in here, so Get I'm going to pour there. myself some tea, I guess. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this tea, to be honest. Is it the root beer one? Or yeah. One? Yeah, that one's pretty cool. Yeah, you wouldn't think that root beer tea would be good, but it is. Pretty cool. Though I, I uh, let Anna smell it. And she made this very disgusted face. Does she not last like night. root beer? I think because that she would explain is it. Offended at a fundamental level that you would combine root beer with tea. You're not which combining I think, root beer with tea. It's just an herbal infusion made yeah, of roots. Exactly. I think that that is just um, not having an open enough mind because she likes clearly Earl Grey. That's like bergamot. Yeah, with tea, there's clearly so, like roots and stuff. You know, What's in root beer? Even get out of here, elitist. I don't know. I want to Google it now. Root beer. Besides, I drink only the finest green teas when I'm not on this podcast, so I am the true elitist. Yeah, here we go. Vanilla, wintergreen, cherry tree bark, licorice root, sarsaparilla root, nutmeg, uh, anise, molasses, cinnamon. It's, yeah, it's just some Many stuff. of these things yeah, are in A couple of those are in like chai already. and stuff, you know? So they have just created the combination that you would typically put in root beer and put it in some rooibos. Rooibos. I still don't know how to pronounce Roy-bus. that correctly. Tea. And it's pretty good. But the other thing is that Anna's not a huge fan of sweet teas, so or sweetness in general. I don't know. Do you consider this sweet? Does it have sweetener in it? It smells sweet. I consider yeah, it has like a it's like bordering on sweet. But it doesn't taste but not quite sweet there. to me. Yeah. It gives you like a hint of that root beer flavor without it like makes you know, me think that it should be sweet, but then it's not actually. Yeah. And I still kind of want to try your idea of putting the LaCroix. Uh, oh, yeah, the, cola like the cola one in, in there, there. <laughs> making sugar-free root beer. Just to see how it would taste. It probably won't be good. It'd be I'm just right. kind of preparing myself for that now. No, that'd probably but be good. it probably won't be good. So today, Martin, if I am correct, we are talking about how to crush your interviewers. Yes. Okay. That's the best way to get a job. Mm, I recommend like Zangief Suplex. Crush, crush. Or something like that. Nothing you compares to one crush. There's three. There's three Quite crushes. Evening alone. I started at the second one. Oh, why did you start at the second one? Because I'm ahead of the game. How else am I going to crush my interviewer, Tom? They're going to see it coming. I guess that's true. Yeah, if you do scream crush three times, yeah, they're probably going to have time to. Duck they're out waiting of the way. for the third time, right? But there's no third time. I got gotcha. you. Nice tip number one. Yeah, <laughs> the element of surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so we have done um, some interview related episodes in this podcast before, but they are they are old. Let's just say. And I'm not True. sure if we've True. done an episode just specifically dedicated to interviews in a general sense. So that's what I'm kind of hoping we're going to do today. And <laughs> Hopefully. Then, we'll, yeah. we'll find out. We'll see. Yeah. You know, just two guys on the internet trying to be experts here. Uh, but we will have links to the previous episodes we've done on interviewing in the show notes for this episode. And then I think I've done a few episodes on interviewing over on Listen Money Matters as well. So. That seems There's reasonable to believe. Ample interview tips, material, things of that nature to be found if that's something that you're looking to uh, get better in at the moment. But I've got a bunch of notes for this particular episode. Oh, Hopefully man. Hopefully you do as well. I do have a handful, a myriad notes. Nice. If you will. Do you say, am I am I correct in, in assuming that you say a myriad and then the verb and not a myriad of and then the verb, so like, do you, do you I mean have the noun? a myriad badgers. I didn't say, not verb, I, I didn't noun, say I have yes. a myriad jump. I have a myriad jump. Well, okay, yes. Like, I have a myriad honey badgers. Yeah, I think, I think it is like of, that, right? because I at least, at some point at least, I was told that, and I'm fairly certain it's correct, and it's always confused me, which is why I remember it. Okay, cool. Because it sounds like weird compared to everything else. There's all these... Um, Languages evolving, man. Weird English idioms and strings of words that I, I feel like I know how to use, but then... I'll write them in an article and I'm like, wait a minute, does that does that make sense? Like by and far away. I was writing that in an article recently and hmm. I was like, is that is that a thing or did I just make that up? That would have led me down a down a rabbit hole. It led me down a bit of a rabbit hole. But I went back to work after maybe two. You don't Google go back clicks. to work, you get into etymology dictionaries and then you go forever. <laughs> no, I so have you work get back to, do. to like proto Indo European and then you know you've done enough. Got work but then you haven't done enough. You I got to go further. UI design work to do, which, by the way, I got stuff to show you after we record this episode. Ooh. Cool stuff's coming down the pipeline, guys. Fancy. All right. Um, so with interviews, 
I have a bunch of small tips and tricks here, but I want to talk about something that is more important than any of these little tiny tricks and tactics and stuff, which is that interviewers are looking for the best talent. That's, I mean, it's, it's uh, simple. So, it's so obvious. what you're saying here is, uh, if you don't actually have the skills, you can't hack your way into the job. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. All right. I mean, well, technically you Let probably put it could. This way. You might just regret that decision later. You can, and regrettably I have in the past. Fair. I did interview really well for a job that I honestly wasn't that good at through all of my own fault. And I, we've talked about they this. Pulled the wool over their the eyes. Yeah. So some people do interview really well. Um, they have very good BSing skills. It's an important skill. But a competent interviewer is basically everything they do in the interview is to figure out, is this person the best possible option for this position that I have open? And the more successful and more forward thinking of a company you want to work for, the more this is going to be the case. So the the thing that I'm thinking of um, now is Elon Musk with like Tesla and SpaceX because I'm listening to his book right now. Well, not his book, the book about him by okay. Ashley Vance. And when I was listening to the book in the car the other day, I was really interested when they were talking about how he went about hiring people for SpaceX in the early days. And one interesting thing is that for a really long time, both at SpaceX and Tesla, he would personally interview new candidates, like all of them. Cool. And which is really cool. I'm not sure if he can do it now. And yes, very intimidating. But he would interview every single person himself because he was so fanatical about getting literally the best people that he could. And even when he wouldn't interview people himself, I think like there was a story about him wanting to open like a yogurt stand or something or like a some sort of like yogurt booth or something like for for snacks for employees. And he's just like, I need you to go to the best yoga franchise in the city and find the employee of the month and hire that person. Like he's fanatical about finding the best talent. Get serious about your yogurt. Exactly. Right. Well, I mean, if you don't have good yogurt at your space company, what are you doing? Well, what else, what, what else, else are they, they going to eat in space? Eat in space? Yeah, exactly. They eat yogurt, basically probably. yogurt tubes. Something like that. <laughs> there was a story about a guy. I think it was in the sixties with the Apollo missions. Uh, he snuck like a pastrami sandwich up into the craft. <laughs> In his um in his spacesuit leg pocket, and then he took it out, and um I don't know what he was thinking was going to happen, but of course little bits of the flaky crust just started floating all over the cabin, and his co-pilot was like, "Yep, you probably shouldn't have done that." Brilliant. <laughs> so I do wonder if one of Musk's questions is like, "You're not going to bring sandwiches into space, right?" Yeah. So yeah, I I recommend answering no on that one, but. So he was interviewed by CNBC a while ago about how he interviews people. And I wanted to share this quote from him. So this is him basically like saying a question that he might ask a potential candidate. Tell me the story of your life and the decisions that you made along the way and why you made them. And also tell me about some of the most difficult problems you worked on and how you solved them. And then he talked to the interview. He said people who really solved the problem, they knew exactly how they solved it. And they know all the little details. But people who are pretending just go into one level of detail and then they get stuck. So first and foremost, buckle down on getting experience, solving problems, doing hard stuff and becoming the kind of person that they are going to want to hire. And this goes into something that I think you and I have talked about several times where you shouldn't wait for someone to hand you the opportunity to do the work you want to do. Yeah. If you want to do something, if you want to code websites or if you want to write a book or if you want to build some cool language tool, like go do it to the extent that you can without access to a big company's resources or without a job title. Yeah, you can get experience in most things now. You probably can't get experience as an astronaut without going through a bunch of stuff, but you can get experience. You can get experience as an astronaut, but you could go build model rockets. Yeah, yeah, you could do something similar. um, A really good example for the astronaut thing is at Iowa State University, there is a solar car race club. And I actually joined it during my freshman year. Now, I joined it as the web developer, but there were all these engineering kids who would spend their nights and weekends literally building this race car that ran off nothing but solar panels. And if I wanted to go be an astronaut, like that's some great engineering experience. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if... I go into the interview and say, I'm really good at skateboarding and I ride the rides at the theme park every single weekend to train. I'm not sure if that's going to qualify me. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I'm not sure. But 
think outside the box. Think what aspects of the work can I get some maybe related experience to? Or if there's something that's not necessarily the same, what's going to impress an interviewer? You know, we've got people who built stuff and then applied for positions with us. And like the things they built didn't necessarily match up one to one with what we were looking for, but they were super impressive. Yeah. So we had one girl who she was writing all these technology articles and we weren't hiring a technology writer, but I was really impressed with that because that got me thinking like, wow, she's a good writer who has actually spent a fair amount of time writing and has demonstrated that she knows a bunch of tech stuff. So maybe if I happen to need a new developer in the future or something, she's planning the seat. You never know. Yeah. So be thinking about the problems you can solve, the work you can do that is close to or related to uh, the jobs that you want in the future. And also just be thinking about the problems that you have solved and keep those in mind because you're most likely going to be asked about them. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and I mean, with that, um, I wanted to kind of start with the questions you're going to be asked. Cause I know this is the thing that you researched for this episode. Yeah. A little bit. Cool. So we have a bunch of tips, but I want to start with what exactly are you going to be asked in an interview and how can you prepare for that? Uh, you could be asked a lot of things, Tom. There are a lot of types of questions. <laughs> What's your Actually, height and weight? There was a there's a cool page on the balance okay. com with a list of types of interview questions that would actually be pretty useful if it would load faster. And so you've got your behavioral questions. That's the kind of what would you do in this situation, what have you done in this situation, kind of how do you react to things sort of questions. But then you've got questions about what you're good at, questions about your previous job or your previous experience, mm-hmm. questions about your personality or like where do you see yourself in five years? What do you what do you want out of life? Okay. And then very difficult questions about your salary and negotiating and things. I know a lot of people don't like those. Mm, yep. But basically um, any kind of question that could yield information they want, it's not like there's a limit. This list isn't going to be everything. They could just ask whatever they want. That's true. What do you think is going to be the most likely or what are some of the most difficult kind of questions? Well, I think I think most of the ones I just listed, mostly about your experience, trying okay. to gauge who you are as a person and how you would react to stressful situations. Okay. So let's run through a few of these here. Uh, let's start with behavioral interview questions because these are really common and they can trip a lot of people up. So essentially a behavioral interview question is a question that maybe asks how did you handle a situation that had this aspect to it? Yeah. So I've had questions in interviews that have been like, tell me about a situation where you were under a lot of pressure to solve something in a small amount of time. Like, and what did you do to fix that problem? Or I've had other ones where it was like, tell me about uh, a time when you had a coworker who was not cooperating or you had a big disagreement with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now that these one, are That tough. one's an extra tricky one. Yeah. Because a lot of people who are going into entry level positions maybe don't have something that comes to mind as an immediate response. Like I haven't had a job where I had a bunch of coworkers that disagreed with me. You know, I worked at target and I was a cashier, so I really didn't have much teamwork or something like that. This is why it's a good idea to be familiar with these kind of questions, at least some examples of them. And then to think about them before you go into an interview. Yeah. Because maybe you'll think, Oh wait, I had a group project in my marketing class and one of my group members was being a complete tool and I had to fix that situation. Yeah. Now the balance also had a good page of behavioral interview questions. Okay. And in that they actually had a pretty cool thing they call the star method where for each answer to a question like this, you got your story in mind. You've got some sort of anecdote. First you describe the situation. Then you describe the task you were asked to complete. Then you describe the actions you took and the results like, a way to okay. focus it so that you don't end up out in the weeds somewhere talking yeah. about like, yeah, but I also had like baloney that day, so I wasn't feeling too good, you know? <laughs> and then like they get confused, you forget your point and you didn't answer the question and now you feel flustered. So the next question is not going to go very well either. Yep. So like just a way of focusing it. And I think an important thing for these kind of questions is that, like you said, you know a lot of the common ones, but I would try to go into an interview with at least a handful of anecdotes I may be able to use yeah. kind of in mind. Not rote memorized because if I come off like a robot telling my stories, that's worse. You need to speak it conversationally, the parts that are relevant, leaving out details that aren't, Yeah, which is also an important social skill. There's a fine line between being prepared for an interview and 
very obviously yeah. showing that you scripted the interview. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to Which makes go well. it really not an interview at that point. But if you have a handful of stories, so actually this applies to questions as well, but if you have a handful of stories, if you don't get to use one, you still have others that might apply, and mm-hmm. you have a couple that might apply to different situations so that you don't have to use the same story five times. So they're like, yeah. oh, I get it. So you basically did this group project, and then you did nothing else for the rest of your life. <laughs> and now you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding and you ask me for a job. You can't have it because you, you got to yeah. seem like you have varied experience. Mm-hmm. So definitely having several prepared. And and when I say that's similar to questions, I just mean like uh, later on when you ask your own questions about the company, it's useful to have multiple too for the same fault tolerance reason. Yeah. If they answered a question, you still have more and you're not like, I guess I'm done. Exactly. Yeah. But. For the things you need to have prepared, having a couple extra is, is a good idea. Yeah. And this goes back to why it's so important to have extracurricular experiences, to seek leadership roles or at least active roles in the clubs that you participate in, um, to do personal projects. And also, I mean, a lot of people may disagree with me here, but I got a lot of value out of doing part-time jobs in high school and college. And some of those part-time jobs weren't fun. They were your typical cashier jobs or scrubbing floors and kitchens. But they gave me experience. Well, even if that experience isn't a very impressive line on your resume, you could have a story from it that helps you yeah. get a job anyway. Actually, one of the most memorable stories from the Elon Musk book that I'm reading. Uh, so he basically moved from South Africa to Canada when he was 18 or 17 years old. Lands in Canada has basically zero money to his name and knows almost nobody there is able to get in contact with some distant family and stay with them. And then it, for a while, he just does odd jobs. And the one that was really memorable was he took a job where he would have to crawl into these giant boilers. I can't remember if they were like at a beer brewery or some other kind of company, but he'd have to crawl into like this tiny little hole and then take a shovel and scrape all like the suit and gunk off the walls of the boiler and shove it out the same opening he came in. And he said, like, if you uh, if you stayed in there for longer than half an hour, you'd overheat and die because it was so hot in there, even though they turned him off. And after fun, (laughs) after five days, like all but three of the 20 people who had started on day one had quit. And he was one of the three that had stayed there. So it's kind of interesting and, and cool, like to gain that perspective, to realize like one of the richest people in the world who's building rockets and electric cars now you know, 30 years ago was scraping gunk off of the inside of a boiler for like $17 an hour or something like that. Yeah. You know, as just a kid. So those manual labor experiences that are not fun, they help you pay your dues. They help you to start stepping up the ladder and they might seem insignificant, but in the grand scheme of things, they do actually contribute to your overall progression. I would say that one in particular seems pretty significant compared to other jobs you might have, other odd jobs. You know, if he was like a pizza delivery person by comparison, with the boiler thing, he's already showed, well, if things get hard, it's going to be fine because nothing we have here is going to be that frustrating. That's true, yeah. And, you know, maybe the people listening to this haven't scraped boilers for a living. Go out and scrape boilers. There you go. There's our number one tip. But you might have um, an example that's maybe a little less extreme, but along the same lines. I detasseled corn for four years during the summers when I was a teenager. And I'm going to be honest, that job is not as hard as scraping the insides of boilers, but it is hard and a lot of people quit that job. So maybe I can't say I was three out of 20 who stayed in the boilers, but I was, you know, part of the probably less than 40% of the people who stuck around the whole season, showed up for double shifts, did the work that needed to be done because... I was motivated. Yeah. And that's impressive because it shows a work ethic. If you can show a work ethic and you can show a willingness to learn, that's really important. Uh, Yeah. And actually on that note, maybe we should talk about some of the qualities that employers are looking for. I mean, these aren't going to be universal. Maybe some companies are looking for certain things, but I think there are some that pretty much any hiring manager is going to want to see. Like work ethic. So yeah, work ethic, um, the ability to both learn quickly and learn independently and be a solution finder. Yeah. So basically as a hiring manager or a manager of any kind, I want to I want to get the feeling that I'm not going to have to stand over your shoulder and show you every button to click. 
Like I'm hoping you're adaptable enough and smart enough to figure out something that you probably don't know how to do pretty quickly because every moment I spend training you is money I'm spending that you're not really generating return for yet. Yeah. You're supposed to manage the broad strokes, not like Mm -hmm. their every move. Yeah, exactly. Um, So those are really big big qualities. I guess the other thing is like a fit with the company culture. Now, this is is an interesting point that I, I wanted to kind of ruminate on for a bit because I don't know exactly how to define company culture. I don't know. I mentioned it in my resume tips video. It's the vibe, man. And I don't know. Some Well, there was one person in the comments who Very was like, abstract thing. he was really mad that I mentioned company culture because he was like, all these startups in Silicon Valley just want to hire a bunch of like straight white male nerds who only watch Battlestar Galactica and only know Node.js or something like that. And like, it's because that's their idea of company culture. And that's not really Seems how like I... a very particular company yeah, that, culture. That, and he had a good point. He was like, Company culture is stupid because it um, it prevents companies from hiring a more diverse group of people who can come up with a more diverse array of ideas and solve problems in different ways. And I don't think that's how I was thinking of company culture. Like, I'm not trying to tick a box like, oh, have you watched Blade Runner? And do you play Mario Kart? And do you like this type yeah, of beer? Are you one of those you know? hip, cool guys? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think if we think about the people who work for us, we've got you know, a medical student from Canada. We've got a high school graduate from Portugal. And, you know, we've got two guys from LA who watch very different things than we do. We've got Kayla who lives in Kansas city, you know, and I don't know what a lot of their hobbies and interests are. So I think really the company culture is just like, do your values fit the company's mission? Like, are you on board for what we want to do? So when I think about culture, if I'm sitting across the table from you and you're a candidate and I'm getting the vibe that you really just want the money, you're really just yeah. looking for like, oh, I just need a nine to five, man, because I really want to make enough money to buy video games and I don't really care. That's where there's a culture mismatch because I want I want to know that like you care about the same things that we care about as a company. Even if I'm hiring you as like an IT guy. You know, if we want to build the best source of information for helping students learn and, and work better in the world, you should be on board with that. Yeah. Not, I just want to fix servers and get paid and then so go it's, home. It's core values. It's not yeah. like, do you share the same hobbies and did you come in and you're like, I have that hat. Yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not going to get you the job necessarily. I mean, maybe there is some. Do we just become cra- best friends? There's probably some crazy bro startups <laughs> out there. I, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. In fact, that person who made the comment was probably referencing a place that they had experience with and yeah. didn't like. I don't doubt that that's maybe true. I'm sure there and, are companies and that out kind there of sucks. that are, they're going to be like that. But, but the core values are the important thing to line up with most people. Exactly. Yeah. So just think about like, and this is a good, this is a good point. What are the company's core values? And as you get further into your career, I think you're going to have more leeway and more flexibility for seeking out companies that do fit your core values. But yeah. again, the more legwork you put in as a student, the more active you are, the more ability you have to do that right out of college. I may have worked at a giant financial corporation during my internship, but I graduated with the ability to run my own business. And while that may not happen for everyone, there's a clear progression of events that allowed that to happen as early as it did. And there's a clear progression of events that allowed you to go work for a small web dev firm that you really liked. That is true. I did that of, stuff on purpose. Yeah, exactly. So set yourself up early so you can do these kind of things. All right. So we talked about behavioral interview questions. Um, there's going to be questions about your past work. Just remember to be specific and look for experiences that can highlight your strengths. Um, one thing I want to talk about here is the salary questions, because this is something that trips people up so much. It gives them so much anxiety and I totally understand it. Um, let me put this up front. When an interviewer asks you about the salary, if they already like you and you say the wrong salary, they're not going to be like, get out. Unless it's a really wrong salary. But then they might think it's a joke. They might think it's a joke. Yeah. I need a million dollars per second. Yeah. Yeah, They're not going to say get out because I'm never going to talk to you about salary if I don't already have the desire to hire you. It's because the salary is just what I'm trading to get your services. It's the final I step. I need to make sure that I want the like, services and I want you on my team in the first place. If I don't, I'm never bringing up salary. 
Yeah, if because, salary is the first question in the interview, that's kind of weird. Yeah, you know, if if uh, if I brought up salary at first, then maybe I'm thinking, okay, I can get this person for super cheap. It's going to cost me barely anything. In that case, why would I want you on my team in the first place? I want to hire the best possible talent, and I'm willing to pay for it. Now, maybe other companies out there are not well, maybe so they're, smart. Maybe their core values aren't, aren't yeah, uh, Maybe their skills. core values are hire people who work for peanuts, and we don't care how good they are, but... That shouldn't be the type of company that the people listening to the show are striving to work for. Hopefully, everyone listening to the show has at least the ideal in their head to work for a company that really values their strengths and wants to hire the best possible talent, and they aspire to be the best possible talent. Yeah. And if that's the case and you feel like you are that, then you shouldn't worry about saying the wrong salary because it's not going to be like an offended thing if they disagree with the salary figure you throw out. It's going to be more like we probably can't swing that. Or maybe you need to sell them on why they should pay you that. So keep that in mind if you're asked this question. Now, also, before the interview, you can research your role and you can research uh, the area of the country that you live in and see what the average salary range is. Yeah. I don't remember the URL of the website, but there is a website out there. um, And I bet you if you just research salary data, number one, the U.S. government has stats on this. Uh, I think it's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But there's also like a privately held website and it may not have salary information for every position. I believe it started out with like techier positions, but it probably has expanded since then. Um, And we'll have it in the show notes. You can go look so you can see like I live in Des Moines, Iowa, or I live in New York City. And, you know, what are the salary ranges for an entry level bookkeeping person or an entry level web developer or something like that? Yeah. And then if you think that you're stellar, go in with an offer on the higher side of that. Because then you can say, like, people in this market are getting paid around this amount of money. I think I have a lot of skills to bring to the table, so I'd like to make... That research is probably good, too, because if they're like, well, why do you think you deserve that much? And you're like, um, it sounded like a cool number? (laughs) I just made it up. I'm going to be honest. I don't have any idea. I really want a PS4. (laughs) That's... That's basically what's going on here. I really um, like my toy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that show makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, so you can give your range. And if they ask you this question early for some reason, you can ask about the job more first. You know, you can kind of deflect that question. You can say, well, I want to know more about the job first. I want to know what I'd be doing. Oh, that, how that's I could, true. How, how I do you know how much you get paid if you skills? don't know the duties exactly. of the job? Yeah. So once I know more about that, yeah, Bob the Builder. <laughs> uh, then you can start talking about this. Now, you have more room to negotiate your salary if you have, number one, other offers on the table. Uh, and number two, if you already have like a pretty stellar track record. Again, if you are the best possible talent and you can show that, then companies are going to be willing to pay what it takes to get you. Because they know, like, if I get the best engineer in the world versus the second best, like the best one may be able to 10x my revenue through yeah. some innovative process they build or something like that. If I get the best UX designer in the world, they're going to build me a website that's like much faster, much easier to use. People are going to stay on site and I can multiply those factors along with whatever generates revenue to make more money. So this is why the most successful companies in the world go to such great lengths to hire the best people. Yeah. And if you are the best person, then you can negotiate your salary. And you can do that when you're already hired as well. Um, now, I've got a, at least one. No, I've got two, actually. Two salary negotiation, it's a hard word to say, episodes uh, from the past. And we also have a couple on LMM. So I will link to those in the show notes as well. You can check those out if that's something you're interested in doing. But I want to move on to some other tips here. Now, I actually want to move on to a tip that I wanted to talk about in the beginning, but I kind of glossed over it. So this is, this is the mindset that you should have going into an interview. And I think you kind of understand this, but a lot of people don't. So first and foremost, every time I've ever gone into an interview, I have told myself, I am the best person for this job. I don't know if you tell yourself that, but I do. And there's always a little bit of self-doubt. It's like, no, you're just lying to yourself, bro. No, keep you, lying to yourself. You might be more confident. not that good. But that's what I tell myself. Because it doesn't do me any good to not tell myself that. Right? 
if I go if into you an make interview, yourself feel bad, you're just why would you make the interview worse for yourself? Yeah, I mean, just you should at like, least think you're more than qualified. Exactly. Yeah. Just like your resume, an interview is an opportunity for you to essentially sell yourself, and the interviewer is judging you alongside all the other people they've interviewed. So you have to stand out. And the only way you're going to do that is if you believe that you do stand out. If you don't, then you're going to come off as like shy. You're going to come off as self-defeating or you're going to sell yourself short. And that's not good. But the other thing that if, if you take nothing from this episode away except for this is that an interview is a negotiation between two parties. It is a conversation. If I'm an interviewer, I want to see... Do you have what I need? And do I think you would be a great addition to our team? And just as importantly, you as the job seeker are trying to figure out, is this company the right fit for me? Is this where I want to be? Is this where I want to contribute my talents and time? Yeah. So it's a trade, right? I'm going to trade you money and maybe free beer on Fridays or something for your work, for your innovative abilities, for your smarts, for everything that you're going to bring to the table. So you need to remember that you have a strong negotiating position in the interview. Even if they don't select you, remember, you could not select them. When I was uh, a sophomore, I had seven interview requests after the career fair. And had I not just taken the first one that I really wanted to work at, I may have had several offers. So it's kind of the exact same situation, but reversed. I'm going to pick one of those companies and I'm going to reject the other ones. Yeah. So remember, you have a position of power here. This is not an audience with the king or something like that where you have to prostrate yourself in front of them and be like, I'm not worthy. Please give me money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Please save me. I need a livelihood. Exactly. Don't make like, it even, seem... Even if that's really the situation, it shouldn't seem like that. <laughs> yeah. Don't make it seem like you're begging because you're not. And if you are, you're not going to get the job anyway. Like, don't do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to talk about with mindset. I think that's pretty much the mindset. If you see yourself as somewhat of an equal saying, well, they want me. Let's see if I want them. And if they yeah. don't want me, they don't know why yet. And if I'm not the best now, maybe I'm not the best. But if they give me time, I will beat the best. That's true. Yeah. And um, if you have the opportunity to become the best or better before the interview, do it. Yeah. Like when I uh, when I had interviews scheduled for the web development department on campus, they sent me this PHP quiz that I had to take online at home. And I opened that thing and I didn't know a single lick of PHP. Hmm. None. <laughs> they they were interested in me because I showed them my front end skills. And they were like, hey, you got some, some work under your belt. That's pretty cool. But I knew no PHP. And I think I had like three days before the interview. And in those three days, I studied my butt off. And I didn't solve all the questions, but I think I solved over half of them. And then I came in and I said, hey, here's my answers to the questions. You know, it might not be the most elegant code in the world, but I was able to learn this in three days because that's how dedicated I am. You know, so even if even if it's not like or even if it's apparent to them that you don't know this stuff super well, you're going to show them again your work ethic by yeah. doing that. Well, those kind of skills, the work ethic and the lining up with the company's values and being honest and, and integrity and all these things, they're mm -hmm. more important because you can train somebody in the other things. Yeah. You can train somebody how to handle your server if they already have basic server understanding or computer skills. Mm -hmm. And also you trust them with your server. Yeah. But if there's like a genius with servers, but you're like, I actually don't, I'm not liking the vibe I'm getting from this one. But they do <laughs> yeah. seem qualified. You yeah, don't want to like hire that one. Makeup all over themselves. <laughs> yeah. But they're really good at servers. It might take a second best person. Yeah. Like, yeah. obviously, the, the technical skills are important, but if they lack the other more important things of mm -hmm. showing you actually care about the work and or at least to the extent that you care, you do a good job. It doesn't yeah. need to be like your passion or something. Mm -hmm. But And you, you can look up like data on employer responses when asked about the most important skills or factors they're looking at for new grads. Communication skills are always the top, you know, uh, fitting like in the with the company's mission in general organizational skills, teamwork skills, the ability to adapt. Those all come before technical skills or just ability to do the job. I do want to mention, though, that the ability to do the job is not unimportant. No, it's definitely important. It's yeah. just other things are also important. I mean, we, we hired a writer recently, and we had 
pretty strict criteria that people had to meet to even be considered. Because it's like, you know, this isn't an English class. I can't hone your writing abilities from the ground well, up no, because the company I need you to needs be able to make to, money. Yeah, right? and you it, need to be able to hit point. the ground running with good articles. Like they may not be to the exact standard that I would hope for in an ideal world because that's probably like the articles that I write or the articles that my heroes write who are too busy to work for me. But there is there were certain things we were looking for. Yeah. And it took a certain level of talent and experience to be able to naturally do those things. So there were a lot of people that we were just like, you, you don't come close. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, so do make sure that you are at least pushing your technical skills as much as you can to be able to meet those requirements. Uh, what about what you should wear to the interview? Whatever you want, man. Like clown shoes? Yeah, clown like shoes. Well, actually, that works Batman for some costume. interviews. That's true for Depends clown on interviews. The interview. What if you're interviewing to like, Make kids with cancer feel better at the hospital. You come dressed as Batman, maybe they're like, well, now we know we don't need to buy you the Batman suit. That's true. That's a big deal because that's an expensive suit. That is a very expensive suit. Where'd you get suit? that? Like a good quality Batman suit is pretty pricey. Yeah, but uh, most of the time you won't want to wear a Batman suit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 99% of the time don't wear a Batman suit. All right, so I'm just going to put a rule out here. Maybe this isn't a universal rule, but... Unless they specifically tell you what to wear or to dress casually, which I think they may have done for you at Flying Hippo, possibly, if I remember correctly. I usually, for the places that I've applied, it's never been like a super, super formal place. So I try to walk the, kind of like almost what I'm wearing now, maybe a little Mm -hmm. more formal or a little more like, maybe I'll have a tie. Maybe I'll throw a tie in there, depending on the position. But I, I usually, I haven't gone in like full suits to most interviews. I have. Here's here's my rule. Wear a suit. Yeah, I did or that wear, to one. Uh, to be more generic here, wear business formal. Uh, if you're not going to do that, dress one level of formality above what people are wearing there to work. Unless, of course, they ask you, like, hey, just show up in a t-shirt and jeans or a super casual company. Then don't show up in a suit because they're going to be like, oh, this person is a tryhard and they're – not really yeah. part of what we're looking to build here because there's something in a suit and we told them to wear a Hawaiian shirt or something. Yeah. Like, but otherwise show up wearing a suit cause it shows that you're serious or at least again, show up wearing something that's a little bit more formal than what everyone's wearing. Uh, now when it comes to suits, okay, actually I want to switch what I wrote here on the notes cause I want to talk about girls first, particularly because I'm not an expert in girls formal wear. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I will say this women can go for a suit. So it's actually pretty easy for us to say that's a recommendation. There are plenty of suits out there for women. Uh, but women can also get away with more than men can. Like you can wear a squirt, uh, a squirt. you can wear a skirt, <laughs> <laughs> you can wear uh, like squirtle sunglasses, you know, those are good for interviews. Hired. You can wear, uh, like a blouse if it's a formal type of blouse. I don't know anything about what makes a blouse formal or not. So do you, do you know any channels or people that uh, know about like women's fashion? We'll link to some women's we'll business find formal stuff in the show notes. That's what I wanted to say because this guy knows about how to wear a suit. I barely know how so, to wear my own clothes. So I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Um, and since we're not an interview show anymore, I don't know. At some point, maybe I'll do an LMM episode with a woman about how to dress for an interview. But there is a lot of resources out there already. So, Or you know what? I'll get Roxine to write an article about it. Okay. Nailed it. All right. Done. So that'll come in the future at some point. Uh, but yeah, you can wear a suit. You can do skirts and blouses and or dress slacks. With dudes, get a suit. And the most important thing is make sure that the suit fits you well. Uh, and you got lucky with yours. Oh, that's because like my body just... type kind of accidentally fit the off-the-rack suit. It I guess looks, so. It looks decent. Yeah. Because, I mean, you just, you what, where did you go to, like, JCPenney or Yonkers or something? Yeah. Yeah, I got it from JCPenney. There you go. JC it, just kind of, it just kind of fit. If you're lucky, it just works sometimes. $150 suit probably, but, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know? $150, $200. But there if, you it's, go. if it doesn't fit, though, it's very apparent. It's, yes. It's worth it to pay for tailoring. And and yes, oh no, I have to pay for tailoring, but the job's going to pay more if you get it. And Tailoring doesn't cost that much anyway. Yeah, it's They're just They're not going like, to cost you like double the cost of the suit. It's going to be, I don't know, 20 bucks for an alteration or something. It's just one of those things. It's going to help. It's very apparent. Like I walked back, I was back at the, at Iowa state 
not too long ago visiting visiting family mm-hmm. and then i was just i like saw somebody walk by in this hugely baggy suit and i was like yep we're back on a college campus aren't we yep like it's people, very they obvious just go to the jc it is so obvious they they buy the thing off the rack tailor it um Number one, like if there's a knowledgeable salesperson at the store, have them take your measurements and then suggest a suit. Because I guarantee you, unless you watch a bunch of like men's fashion channels like I do, you're probably not going to know where the sleeves are supposed to hit, where the waist is supposed to hit, how broad it's supposed to look in the shoulders. Yeah. Like there are things that you need to know to look for. So you can go out and find those things on your own. Even when I knew these things, I prefer to have a knowledgeable person be able to say, okay, the shoulders are bunching here too loose or this is actually too tight of a suit for you you know what actually see i'm i'm the kind of like i'm pretty introverted i don't like asking people for help so like in a grocery store i'll never ask unless it's like okay this is really important i don't know where it is but if you feel awkward about asking somebody does this professional clothing work for me consider that a test because you need to have those social skills for the interview so in this particular situation you don't have a good excuse to try and be antisocial about it Mm -hmm. it's good practice I got my suit at Suit Supply in uh, Manhattan because I happened to be in Manhattan for a TV thing. Okay. And I was like, well, humble brag is, over there. Humble brag, yeah. Uh, well, this was back when I lived in Iowa, and Iowa does not have a Suit Supply. Now, you can buy Suit Supply suits online, and there's a cool thing where they will actually send you three different sizes, and you can try them all on and send back the two that don't fit you the best. That's amazing because I hate buying clothing online. Yeah. So and in person because of stuff not fitting right. Mm-hmm. I just hate clothing. Yeah. That so if you don't live it. near a suit supply or wherever you want to buy your suit, uh, you could do something like that. And then you could take the one that you like best, take it to a tailor and have them do the final alterations. I wanted to do it even better than that. And I happened to be in New York already. So I went to suit supply. I had the guy there help me try on suits and like tell me which one fit the best. And then they did alterations and shipped the suit back home for me. Oh, you didn't even have to bring it back yourself. Nope, which is nice. I didn't want to have to fly with it. Yeah. Um, Now, suit supply suits are about 500 ish dollars to start. So they're definitely a step up. They're not like an Armani or something like that. But you can get, again, JCPenney off the rack for 150 bucks. If it fits right, Um, it'll look so much better than like the other people in non-fitting suits anyway. There's another one called Combatant Gentleman, I think it's called, and they make cheaper suits, probably around 200 bucks. It's like camo and like military clothing. I hope it's not camo suits because it said combatant. If that's like, the, if that's the truth, oh wait, actually, then like, like a, their a ads are very. Suit, that's. I mean, I guess you're, you're applying for the no, military or something. That would be a really interesting <laughs> suit. <laughs> they, I guarantee they make a camo suit out there. There's got to be one. Yeah, for something like, I don't know, something like wedding. That would work for the kind of job that's like, I really like the ironic sincerity of your business wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, let's yeah. put some guidelines uh, out there. So good fit. Um, a good starting suit is a navy blue suit. It's a good starter. Just good one. Uh, or like a charcoal one. Those are the two that I would go for as like a starter. And then from there, or if you don't care about Thomas Frank's recommendations and you want to do your own thing, which is fine, you can go for like a pinstripe suit or something. But there's a certain amount of confidence that it takes to wear more outlandish suits. So if you're, uh, yeah. if you're the kind of person who knows you can pull off like red Oxfords that are shiny and a full white suit, then yeah, Kanye could probably do that. But I'll take him seriously when he walks through the door. Sure. You know? Yeah. But if I'm like a little bit more timid, I'm probably going to just like go for my navy blue suit. <laughs> no, my if, nice you're wearing brown the, Oxfords. if you're wearing the out there stuff and you're just like. <laughs> Hi. I'm just good. Like <laughs> the juxtaposition of your really like gregarious clothing and timid nature will be too much for me to handle. Yep. I'm and just gonna <laughs> feel like like you found that in your dad's closet from the '80s and like that's the only yeah. thing you had to wear or something. <laughs> so I need to feel like if you're gonna wear a weird suit, you did it with you intention. Gotta, you gotta pull it off. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Let's see here. Get it tailored if uh, it doesn't fit right. Make sure it fits really well. Let's see here. I, I, I talked about where to get them. Um. I guess for anything else when it comes to what to wear. Oh, a couple more notes. First, I did an episode with Antonio Centeno from Real Men Real Style. That was like episode 128 or something like that. It's like how to dress better. So okay. that has some more detail. The other thing I want to say is if you can't afford a suit, don't freak out. Because, again, an ill-fitting suit that you bought at the thrift store isn't going to look as good as a well-fitting button-down shirt and a tie and a confident handshake. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those optimization things. 
So at some point when you can afford it, invest in a good suit. But if you have an interview before that, you know, don't cancel the interview and be like, can I actually interview with you guys next year when I can afford my, a suit? My suit's bad. Yeah. You can, get, you can get other clothes that look nice. Yeah, exactly. Like a Batman suit. Just make it look like you intentionally didn't wear a suit, basically. Yeah, you something should, like that. Equally, you should pull it off, whatever it is. Yeah, and you should be able to get your hands on a nice dress shirt and tie and slacks for a fairly cheap price. Yeah, and those, so. will, those will fit easier. Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, let's see here. Next thing. If you're interviewing with a bigger company, you're probably going to run into like a secretary or somebody who's manning the door. You might be introduced to other people. Maybe they even give you a tour of the floor you might be working on. Treat everyone you meet really well. And I don't mean just like not walking in and throwing a water balloon at the secretary's head or something. I mean, like I've seen a lot of job candidates come into the lobby They'll say, hey, I'm, I'm here for an interview with Mr. Smith or two. And they're like, all right, he'll be in in a second. And then they just sit there and look at their phone for the whole time, you know. And you've probably heard the stories about CEOs disguising themselves oh, yeah. as the secretary. It is see. a ruse. Exactly, yeah. So ask the secretary how their day is going. You know, if, if they're busy, obviously let them do their work and wait quietly. But if they don't seem to be busy, take an interest in what they're doing. You know, be a personable person because a lot of teams or a lot of interviewers will get everyone together who talked to the candidate and ask, hey, what'd you think of this person? And where a lot of companies that are very sensitive about keeping their culture the way they want it, if there's one reservation, even from the secretary, that's often enough to give that person the boot. Yeah. Remember the the good to great story about that shelf building company? Yeah, and all was he like, did was put the tools away wrong, and yeah. they were like, done. I don't care how good the shelf was. Exactly. You didn't care when you put the tools away. Mm-hmm. Put the tools away carelessly, and it's that's... Like, that's a very specific adherence to core values. Yeah, but see, they cared so much about like the pride in the work and the carefulness that even though the person did amazing work, putting away tools carelessly was enough to... Yeah, so you should show uh, your best from the running. regardless of whether you think you're supposed to be mm-hmm. at, at any given time, because the answer is you are supposed to be. Also, if they are busy or something, I don't know how important this is, but for me, I've spent the waiting time. If I'm just like, if they offered me water or something and and I'm all polite, I don't want to spend it on my phone. I at least want to seem present in in the waiting. You know, I am in the interview right now mentally, even though I'm not in it yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not just like playing. I don't know what mobile games people play these days, you know? I don't know, man. Angry Birds 10, Return of the Birds. Plants vs. Zombies 14. Yeah, something like that. But if you're on your phone, like the assumption is that you're just doing some nonsense or yeah. you're on Reddit or something. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're preparing. So if you're not, then it looks more like you care what you're doing there. Also, if they do offer you water, I'd say to take it. Oh, yeah. It's usually like I try to uh, like I would really like that. Thanks. Just like yeah. be like a polite conversation because no. It's well, just I think, less opportunity for talking between the two of you. One, well, There's that, but I think people have this natural thought that they're going to inconvenience the other person when they offer something like hospitality like that. But the opposite is true because if somebody offers you something and you say yes, you've now given them an opportunity to feel good about being able to help somebody yeah. out. Look how, look how nice So they I feel am. good about that. But if you say no, you've just like killed that opportunity and they're like, oh, I guess he doesn't want water. And maybe you're yeah. not thirsty, but just – Number one, you're probably not drinking enough water anyway. Yeah, you probably hydrate not. Yourself. That's just like a universal rule. Exactly. <laughs> you need to hydrate yourself. I'm not. You need to eat healthy. You know, I don't Some, remember the lyrics to that, that song. You gotta do that. <laughs> but song. two, just give them the opportunity to be helpful because they want to be just like you want to be. All righty. Um, a few more things that I have listed here. Number one, practice makes perfect. I did probably 16 interviews in high school before I ever got to college. Because I had so many part-time jobs and I also interviewed for a lot of scholarships. The first ones were handshaking nervous affairs where I didn't know what to say and would get tripped up. And I thought that I had to have like a lightning quick response to every question, which isn't true. If you have to think, that's fine. A silent pause followed by a poignant response mm-hmm. is uh, better. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, so for a good example of this, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. There's like this vegan dude named Dr. Noon S. Amon Ra. And is that the name of an Egyptian god? What? I, I don't know, man. He is Egyptian, I think. But oh, well, that would explain that then. He's got I don't like this know the crazy doctor. theory. So he looks like a this. giant bodybuilder, and he, he said he has like a deadlift world record in his category. And then he also said that he only eats like fifteen hundred calories a day, which I think is complete and utter BS. Uh, but 
I was watching this video interview with him. And what I did take notice of is whenever he would be asked a question, he would pause and think and then speak. And it didn't seem weird to me. It didn't seem like he was slow. It just seemed like he was collecting his thoughts so he could give an articulate response. And then as crazy as I think his theories might be, his responses were actually very articulate. You know he's going to fight you now, right? He's He might he's, fight He's me. on his That's way fine. here right now. I don't know. I don't know. You're going to need to eat more than 1,200, 1,500 calories a day to maintain your weight. Especially Maybe your machine is just inefficient, Tom. Maybe that's true. Yeah. That's actually funny. I want to do an episode on that at some point. Like how people continue to believe in crackpot theories even when they're disproved. They'll often be like, well, you just didn't do it right. Or, well, it's probably an off day or something like that. Yeah. It's just funny to me because it's like, what's more probable that like the person is lying or wrong or that the scientific process used to disprove it was somehow like slightly off, you know, but people want to believe in crazy things. Yeah. That's humans in a nutshell. Yeah. But I did find the way that he responded to questions to be interesting because most people try to just get a jump on it and respond super quickly. Well, if you respond super quickly, you don't get the opportunity to pull the best story. You may have already gone like ankle deep into this story. And now Mm -hmm. you're like, uh Oh, that was a dumb example. And actually doesn't, doesn't work well with this at all, but a lot of vocal pauses and immediate jumping to things sounds either like you don't know what you're saying or you didn't think before speaking and thinking before speaking is useful because it means you might think before acting. That's true. Yeah. And it means that whatever you're going to say is probably worth saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I struggle with this on this podcast because I'm very aware that at least I think dead air is something that people don't want to hear. But then I go listen to shows like the Tim Ferriss podcast. And a lot of times when he'll ask a guest a question, they'll pause and you'll hear three to four seconds of silence before the guest answers. But then the answer is so good that you're willing to sit through those few seconds of silence. Yeah. So I know it's something that I need to work on with the podcast and probably also with interviews. And it's also something that people should think of as well. Uh, so with practice, the one big tip I wanted to give here is that if your school offers mock interviews, do them. Do as many as you can fit in. Uh, these are often going to be offered during like the career fair time of the year. And at least at Iowa State University, there would be an interviewer from a real company who would come in to do mock interviews. Now, they're not interviewing you for a real position, but number one, you're getting interview practice in a less threatening, less real quote unquote situation, but also you're kind of building a connection with a real interviewer, yeah. from a real company. Like they might come away from that with these thoughts in the back of their head. Like that person actually had it together. So if I see them on the career fair floor, I'm probably going to remember them better than somebody else. Yeah. So do that. Um, and then the last thing that I had mentioned here was how to handle post interview thank you and follow up. Um, now I want to talk about thank you notes for a second, but I know one thing that your girlfriend does a lot is what's called a leave behind. Yes. So do you know much about what that is? Um, I know what it is and I know that at least it's a thing for a lot of designery kind of work Mm -hmm. where you sort of make something, a little card, a little poster, some sort of thing. And then you like leave it behind as a gift to the, to the people who interviewed you to the something and mostly to leave a nice lasting impression because they might remember you more. I know that similar to this back at my previous job, we had an interviewee bring in these cool little card things, I think with, uh, an illustrated hippo on them. Oh, and, nice. And it was really cool. Um, more or less, it's a standing out and a final, yes, I took this seriously enough to prepare and here are some things. Thank you for interviewing me mm-hmm. because even if I don't get this, it is practice just like yeah, you exactly. were saying, and it's actually like the most real practice you can have. And similar to that, similar to the leave behind, I've had interviewees come into the company I was working at and then have food that was just for everybody, like really? donuts or bagels or just here's some Bribing stuff. With bagels. And then everybody in the office is like, hire, hire them. <laughs> hire them. I like things. I like free food. <laughs> and like. It's you're kind of bribing them to like you, but it's not really a bribe in that it's not going to change the hirer's mind by itself. You're just like everybody else is rooting for you now. And that does have an effect on how much does the company culture like you now? Exactly. Because you just brought them presents. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think a cynical person would see that as bribing, but I don't know. It just seems really thoughtful. When you're eating free food, you don't care. It's very true. I know that they're trying to get me to like them, but I still like this. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't hire them if they life, don't look like they're good at the job, but but they they were they were nice. Life has many instances where you're trying to get other people to like you. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Maybe there's something wrong with like ulterior motives if they're not necessarily good motives. Okay, but... if you come in and you're like, <laughs> "Yes, I would like to present this bagel tray to the employees." And then you like you like seem really shifty about it. I'm going to be like, first of all, I'm not eating those bagels because I think you might murder me. But second of all, that didn't seem like an earnest gift. Yeah. Now it's weird. Don't do yeah. that. So I guess it's like a it's a nice little cap. It, on it a needs good to interview. seem like you're just kind of a positive person who exactly. would want to do this anyway. Yeah. So with these leave behinds, is this something that's like customized to what happened in the interview or is that something you'd make? I think for the interview. I think that in general, it's something that's been made before the interview, but okay. customized maybe for the company would be smarter, oh, gotcha. just like yeah. the resume. Um, I believe I've heard of cases where if it is like a little postcard or something you've made, mm-hmm. writing something on the back of it to like personally thank the actual people. Oh, yeah. At, like, like, go out to your car and then like bring these back in or something. Okay, yeah. You know? Just so that it is a little more personalized because the more specific it is to that situation, the better. But you can't yeah. – I don't know that you'd want to wait, you know, like a week while you're developing a brand new piece dedicated yeah. to specifically those people. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I want to highlight here is that when it comes to the thank yous after an interview, time is of the essence. Yeah. Which is why if you have the opportunity and the motivation to do so, doing a handwritten thank you note or a postcard that's – customized to the company and has a little message on the back do that but at the very least before 24 hours have passed send a thank you email yeah yeah you got to do that soon because the later you wait the more you're like maybe it's too late for me to send this maybe they don't like me already now Mm -hmm. i don't know what to do and i don't want to start my email with sorry for the late thank you (laughs) email am i right yep well Send the thank you email no matter what. I mean, we probably have at least one person listening to this who has waited two or three days. Better late than never, right? Yeah. But interviewers do pay attention to how quickly you follow up on things. How quickly do you communicate? How badly do you seem to want it? If I have somebody who seems super enthusiastic and somebody who seems a little bit lackadaisical, you know, if they're equal in skill or maybe if the enthusiastic person is just the tiniest bit less in skill – I'm still going to go with them because, again, I don't want the person who's just going to show up and want the paycheck and then leave, even if they are awesome. Yeah. Because they're not going to treat the company like their baby. And that that's actually the thing that I told you back when I hired you for the very first thing we ever worked together on, which was the redesign. I was like, I, I could have hired a company to do this. And maybe they had more web dev experience than you did at the time. But I had no faith that a company I was going to hire on a freelance basis would make it their baby. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. Well, you got to care. There have been episodes of this podcast where I was like, that one wasn't good. We're doing it again. That's true. We're yeah. going to have a good episode. We have done episodes over and over again. Uh, and that's and yeah. it's never it's, fun. It's very rare. But it's very rare. But it's like, I care. Yeah. I would be a little bit put out if you were just like, well, I just spent an hour here. Uh, I don't that was do all I was supposed to do. <laughs> we're out. I don't care if we can't publish it. I, I did it. Right. You yeah. Know? And I've had that with uh, Listen Money Matters as well. Like, I don't own Listen Money Matters in any way. I get paid a small percentage of the ad revenue from the show and that's it. But we have had interviews and we've had conversations between two of us where I'm just like, Andrew, that wasn't good. We need to scrap that. Sometimes we like scrap the topic because like maybe the person we interviewed just wasn't a good fit. And sometimes we just redo it because the show must go on and the show must be good. Yeah. Otherwise, why would people pay attention to it? It doesn't need to go on if it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, people come to the show because it's good. Yeah. Not if because not there good, just happens to be something. <laughs> we got it out this week, guys. You know, it's just me playing with trash at my desk for an hour, but it's out. Yeah. A company's <laughs> going to want you at least to care about the quality of your work, even if you're not passionate about it, at mm-hmm. least that you are dedicated to making it good. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, also <clears> with <throat> thank yous. Uh, before we go too far away from that, if you're going to be thanking people and sending emails and yeah, little leave behinds or something like that, I don't know that I've always done this, but I probably would now. 
it might be a nice idea to think not not just your main interviewer, but like anybody involved in that process. If mm-hmm. they pulled another employee out to interview you for five minutes, if the secret like the secretary, like the chain of people that helped you in that thing will appreciate it. Also, if you yeah. if you thank the secretary, that's even more because they might be like, hey, this kid actually thanked me. Yep. That's cool. Yeah, that goes a long way. I can tell you, even working as uh, an independent business person, working with advertisers and working with my agent, advertisers and other people I work with in general, they can tell a difference between somebody who communicates promptly and who communicates thoughtfully to somebody who just does the bare minimum. Yeah. That builds a relationship and it really does matter. Like I make sure to follow up promptly with my advertisers. I make sure to reach out to them when I can and say, Hey, did my ad do well? You know, what can I do to improve it the next time that makes a good impression. So even if my videos don't get nearly the same amount of views as some big creators out there with millions of views in their videos, I make a good impression on the advertisers because they can tell like, okay, this guy actually wants us to do well if we're buying an ad on his channel. Yeah. He's not just trying to bank off of the success of his views and then, you know, go to the Bahamas and just chill and drink pina coladas all day. Like he actually gives a crap. Yeah. So really it comes down to that. Like, do people think that you give a crap? If they do, you're going to do well. Yeah. Uh, Also with the thank you interviews, it is also an opportunity for you to reaffirm why you want to work for them, why you think you'd be a great fit and why you like their company. So Yes, it should be. Thank you so much for the opportunity to interview with with you. I'd love to work with you. Um, You know, I'll follow up next week if I don't hear. But also just say, like, I also think that, you know, I maybe if you have an idea for something you can improve in the company, mention that again. Mention that briefly or mention something you really like about the company. Just use specificity to build that picture in the mind of the interviewer that you, again, give a crap. Yeah. You know, it just helps you stand out. Um, So I think that was all that I had listed for points here. I don't know if you have anything else. Uh, I do have um, some resources to mention, though. I think that that's most of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess cool. one important thing to say, what maybe this is obvious, but so are a lot of things that people don't do. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about old jobs or like the question, name a time you had a troublesome group member or something, don't use that as an opportunity to be like, well, yeah, they were the worst. They ruined oh, everything. Yeah. And also I quit my old job because my boss was the worst and I hate him. He was garbage. Yep. Like if you, you got to have like a positive vibe because if you're just going to be vindictive and grudge holding, then they're just going to be like, you're going to do that to me someday. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't think you should ever badmouth anybody. No, you, you, you know, be positive. Even the troublesome group members, you know, maybe they were going through something, but you got to be empathized. You got to focus on the positive aspects of your stories, not the negative ones. Mm-hmm. And the, the one thing to realize is that when a company asks you for references on your resume and they call that employer, even if you weren't the best, it's highly unlikely that employer is going to really slam you on the phone. They may say like this person had challenges with this, this, and this, they weren't a good fit for that role, but they're not going to be like Martin was basically a human slug and every moment employing him was hell on earth. Yeah. And I got him in my references. Like I have, please don't call this one though. They, they hate me. (laughs) Please don't call this one. It's just the only other person I could think of. You probably shouldn't list that person's reference in the first place, but the fact remains they are not going to bash you. They're going to be professional and you owe them that as well. Okay. So that, that point actually does remind me of another point I wanted to say for portfolio style work. Mm -hmm. And even, even on your resume, don't list things that you don't have good things to say about necessarily. So if you're open, if they're flipping through your art portfolio and they're like, What's this third one? Your answer shouldn't be, oh, I, that one I just, I did that one sophomore year. I don't really like that one very much. Well, that's a horrible story. Why yeah. is it even in there? <laughs> you should be able to say cool things about everything you include. Exactly. Don't yeah. don't say, I need to hit 10. Let's put in this garbage one that's going to make me feel awkward. Please don't ask me about it. Yeah. Don't put that there. Yeah. Have a good story behind your portfolio yeah. pieces. If you can, show the process behind them. Yeah. Show what you learned and, and be like, able to talk about that process. And then like your resume, don't put little things that are like, well, somebody's going to ask me about that. I hope they don't. <laughs> don't. So uh, I see you put Ubuntu Linux on your resume. We actually use that extensively here. What can you tell me about it? Well, I heard that it would be good to have on a resume, I, so I, I Googled it. The ISO. I haven't installed it yet, but <laughs> I have it. It's sitting in my downloads folder. I've heard of it. Yeah. it's Yeah. Know what you're talking about. You shouldn't have, like, <laughs> loose threads mm-hmm. to stories that don't exist. 
Yeah. Again, it's about selling yourself and, and presenting the best version of yourself, but not overselling yourself and not lying. Cool. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good yeah. um, distillation of many of the things that go into interviewing well, not all of them. So again, as always, you guys can ask questions down in the YouTube comments below, down in the comments on our show notes page or on Twitter or via smoke signals or I don't know if you can somehow figure out like the relationship between particles across the universe, like oh, neutrinos, yeah. and you can use like neutrino communication. That might work too. Um, I'm working on a way to, you know, get those in my inbox. But until then, comments on the YouTube channel work pretty well. I did want to give you guys some resources for going further from here if you happen to want to do that. Um, I, the first three are books, and I recommend all three of these books. And all three of them are not just about interviews, but they are going to be very helpful. Um, How to Land Your Dream Internship by Tam Pham. It's a great book, and Tam Pham is a personal friend of mine. I had him on my podcast at one point. Confessions of a Recruiting Director by Brad Karsh. This is a book written by a guy who was literally a hiring manager and recruiting director at a big ad agency, interviewed tons of people, read thousands of resumes over his career. So he had a lot of great insights in that book. And then From College to Career by Lindsay Pollack is another great overall career prep book. And I didn't write it down here, but now I'm thinking of another one. Steal the Show by Michael Port is a book that is, uh, it deals with public speaking a lot, but it also deals with interpersonal communication and interviews is one example of that. So that may be a good book to read up on if you really want to nail the interview, um, the communication port portion of the interview. Yeah. Uh, Ramit Sethi has some great interview skills videos on YouTube that I've watched in the past. So those will be some good things to look at. I think we could probably do some in the future as well. Uh, but those are there to look at. So he's answered a lot of very specific questions. Like what if I'm asked this type of question? Um, how should I answer that? So those are good resources and we will link to all of those and everything else that we mentioned down in the show notes, which you can find at cigpodcast.com slash one eight three or just click the link in the description down below if you're watching this on YouTube. So that is about it. Um, If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, maybe you're watching it on YouTube and you want to take it with you when you go on a run or a drive or you're riding the bus, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Google Play. We have a page on the website, which is easily linked through those show notes on how to subscribe to the podcast, regardless of what kind of phone or device you're using. If you do happen to use Apple Podcasts, one really great way to support this show is to give it a rating and review. That definitely helps us to bump up the rankings and tells us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. So thank you if you do that. And as always, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.